Can you truly create in a vacuum? Creators often find themselves going it alone in their world building, but I think they're missing out. Let's talk about the power of creating in community. Welcome to the Worldcraft Pub Podcast, a podcast for writers, dungeon masters, and other creatives who want to build a world that will bring their audience back time and time again. I'm your host, James, and today I've got Seth with me as well. At the Worldcraft Club, we've always had this idea of community at the core, part of the reason why we call ourselves a club. We talk about the world builder's pyramid. There's immersion at the foundation, wonder in the middle, and participation at the top. Though this idea of involving others in your creative process has always been present, we've struggled to adequately define its role in creative practice. So today, we brought in a pair of collaborators to talk with us. I'm Eli. I am Max's conscience and subgenius. Um, no, I'm Max's partner in crime in our fantasy world. Yeah, I'm Max. I'm Eli's partner in crime when it comes to our world building. They helped Seth and I navigate our understanding of collaborative world building and added a lot of insight into their process. We begin where all good stories do, at the beginning. So we were nailing down the timeline yesterday. And what we've come up with for the origin story is a poorly lit basement of my best friend's house in third grade <laughs> where his older brother took pity on us and didn't beat us for a moment to introduce us to this thing called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Played for about 30 minutes. I don't really remember too much lead up. So again, it was quick and dirty. Um, I got home and I said, Eli, I just played this amazing game. You're going to love it. There was something about dice and books. We don't need any of that. All you do is like you one person's walking down a hall and the other person tells them what happens and you like fight goblins and do cool stuff. So that kicked off what then became sort of a primary exercise for us on our eight hour car rides, among other things. Um, our family has a house in Asheville, North Carolina. So that that is what started what we very creatively called walking down a hall. <laughs> it, became, it was called that for uh, like more, decades. It is often still referred to <laughs> as that. But that began this sort of role-play game, and many years later sort of matured into what I would call world-building. Yeah, well, I, I would say we'd had no intent to world-build at all. It was a very reflexive way. It was one of the ways when we were younger that we could get along, because when you have intelligences of our caliber and um, and so on, and yeah, <laughs> that we were kind of cats and dogs for a long time and so this was a really constructive outlet and very imaginative and fun so we it just happened kind of organically had nothing to do with eli being in control of the situation <laughs> i love that this is a very organic way for a setting to grow though you know it's it's like you kind of start just just telling stories one of the things like we, we talk about a lot on on the podcast is i, I think some people get too wrapped up in the world building of world building and they don't find out if it stories well so like so i i just i want to say i think that is key to our process and our experience um in fact i think honestly i don't know it was just i didn't ever use the word world building till the last couple mm -hmm. years but i think because we never set out to make a system well we don't <laughs> we don't really have a lot of systems in fact but it just was about the experience, the creativity, and even story came a little bit later. You know, it was really about 
we, we didn't know it, but it was really about being together in a fun way. Mm. And so I think that gave our world a lot of freedom and just sort of naturalness. And, and then <clears throat> sort of chapter two came in college, just post-college for me, when Eli was in Romania. No, Czech Republic. Uh, sorry, Czech Republic. And had this sort of rediscovery of his own creativity as it applies to our world. And that was the moment where I think we kind of took it up a notch and there was some world building elements that emerged at that point, map drawing. Um, Eli was very into language and the Czech language captivated him <laughs> to the point where I came to visit him and I was like, I can't pronounce any of those it's words. J Z K P R R. What can you pronounce about that? Here. Um, but that that really kicked off, I'd say, you know, the second chapter of of our world and world building in this world together. What began as a game to avoid punching each other on long road trips evolved into a setting that was co-created. Each one of them providing input, collaborative. This sort of creative muscle memory led them to an understanding of each other's place in the collective creative process. Max is writing the books with Eli providing world building support and insight. But how does this practically work? I would say for our whole process, in fact, it's, it's a very existential like thing right now because Max is now publishing and getting our stuff out there. And so we've had a lot of conversations this summer, this year of like, what needs to happen? What do we need to build out? What doesn't? And one of the things we've we've more or less agreed on is we're we're going to keep the the heart of it at the front. Like we're not going to serve the world building as as a taskmaster or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be what we want it to be, even if it doesn't match all the metrics or the marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know, yeah, we we want to do it well. And Max, especially, you know, yes, there will be some changes, but it's like no, we're not going to. And we don't want to sell out, you know, we, we just want to do it for what it is. Uh, I think it's really important to us. There's there's kind of like, a, there, there's, I don't like the term balance anymore. I like tension much better, right? Yeah. Like, and um, <laughs> there's no, balance. there's, there's kind of like, there's a tension existing there between, cause, cause in some ways world building is a bit of a marketing device and it is a, uh, it is a way of establishing genre and being able to look at somebody and say, well, you like Star Wars, like it's a little like that. Or like you like Lord of the Rings, it's sort of like that, and, and that gives them an idea. Oh, I'm thinking, you know, these sorts of scenarios, these sorts of characters, this kind of depth, and like this sort of excitement that I feel. Like there's there's a different excitement to me doing Star Wars than there is Lord of the Rings. Yes. You know, you're looking for that vibe, and then sort of you also have on the other side of it this fact that like you're trying to sell something that's like a, a genuine story that that goes somewhere that is uh you know it's character driven stuff and like we we have a lot of folks in our server who very curmudgeonly uh point out every time it's like it's characters it's always characters you know and like it's and that's that's critical too and it sounds like part of the heart of your story as well is like kind of just your your sibling relationship and like that kind of building out of that and uh it, it strikes me that working together you're able to keep each other honest in a way that might be harder without that accountability. Have you found that? Well, <clears throat> that's one thing Eli and I were talking about yesterday is there is an element to this of sort of respecting the other's process and creativity. Mm -hmm. I'm writing books, he's writing little snippets and short stories and, mm -hmm. and chronologies and things. If 
I steamroll over his idea of how something works, you have a conflict in the world. And so there is a respect for each other's creative process and, and also a collaboration. So when I have been writing um, the books I've been working on, I will regularly ping Eli, say, hey, what do you think about this? How do you think this fits into our history or you know the, the overarching um, the overarching picture of the world, you know, the Brandon Sanderson idea of your you you write the iceberg and your reader sees just the tip. Mm -hmm. So he's created this giant world underneath, and I don't know that we've gone that far exactly, <laughs> but um, baby, but there has to be some something underneath to to maintain continuity. I think that's important to understand, like how you work together. Either you sort of do your own thing and you bring it all together, and it just doesn't fit or work, right? or one person sort of dominates the other, or I think the way we've done it is, let's use each other as sounding boards to kind of iron sharpens iron, get this place into more of a um, interesting and engaging world that has continuity as well. Yeah, you said keep each other honest. I think that's a good way of putting it because on the one hand, we've written a lot separately. We have short stories and we create sort of Sort of like we, we we just turn on one spotlight in one place in our world at one time and, and we're gradually lighting up more and more and gradually needing to grow the connections. Yeah. And it's a commitment. Like it, it It's actually hard when you just make stuff up out of thin air to <laughs> make it consistent with something else you've made up out of thin air and something has to give. So in that way, um, we've had to say, no, it's been very much about the world. You know, I I will come up with an idea and Max will just be like that. <laughs> I'm not using that. Like I can't work with that for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, it's coming from, it's coming from that point of this doesn't, like you said, kind of keeping each other honest about the world and it really works, but that works because we have a strong relationship. Mm. And mm. so I feel like we've, we've developed, I think again, like, I didn't really realize, I knew this, but as we're talking about, I didn't really realize how much about our relationship it is because it, it when there's safety, you know, you have to have safety to be creative. Mm -hmm. You have to be yeah. at ease. If you're not feeling safe, whether it's from the public or your publisher or your family or yourself, you know, then it's really hard to be free and creative. Mm -hmm. I would say impossible. So... Max and I have created a safe space for each other. And there was there was a point when, I don't know when it was, but early on in the college, when it started again in college, like, hey, let's make this. And I, you know, I was traveling and I, I, I bought paper when I was visiting France. That's where our first map is on French paper. Ooh. That means something. <laughs> it's papier and, over there. <laughs> uh, well, may we. <laughs> and, you know, got ink pen and all this. It was like the world, world, world. Yeah. That Max started saying things like, I really need your input or, Hey, I, I want you to populate this scene with some stuff, some of your stuff. And he started giving me kind of, oh, that's uh, endowing me with sort of my, my superpower, my voice, which was extremely empowering and fun. It was like, Oh, I have something to actually offer. Not just what I think. Uh, likewise with Max wanting to publish, I've had to ask myself a lot, like, Here's what I want. Here's how I see it. Is this going to stand in the way of him bringing this to market? Yeah. And that's not what I want at all. I really want him to succeed in this. And I'm willing to lay things down for that. And so, like, I think the safe space of a relationship 
and makes real co-creativity possible. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, neither of us, Max could write totally like everything by himself. It, it would be his voice, but it would be totally sufficient. And I don't know that I could do everything by myself because I don't get anything done. But, um, but by doing it together, we've definitely created something neither of us alone would have come up with. It seems like one of your sort of superpowers or, or real advantages is your ability to say no to each other, right? And to respect the no to respect the um, the course correction and the adjustment because your ultimate goal is the same, right? Communicating this world that you guys have poured your hearts into. How do you, how do you think the, I guess the question I wanna ask is how clear have you been in conversation with each other about sort of your your direction and your ultimate goal or is it just sort of that has sprung up naturally and you're figuring it out as you go along it's it's really come most recently through my writing in part because prior to writing a book there wasn't really the same level of consequence like Eli could create whatever he wanted in the world and yeah. So, so backing up a, a, a step so to chapter two, when Eli was um, in the Czech Republic and we were building out the world, the purpose was a video game at first. Mm. So we we created right. a bound proposal that we sent to Electronic Arts and Bethesda, like all these places, nice. like over optimistic uh, young college kids. Totally real. Do it. That's like, <laughs> right. So, so when we decided that wasn't going to, stick and aka we got rejected well they didn't even read them they're not allowed to they're under contract with their own people they say mm -hmm. yeah so they yeah. say anyway move on our great ideas show up all over the place um <laughs> coincidence true. i think not um <laughs> so then we transition and like oh let's just, let's let's turn this into a real uh, board game because yeah. mm -hmm. we had done it without any dice or books or boards as kids let's do it as a real board game and so the first step was to write five to 10 page starter stories. So you read a story, I'm an elf, here's where I'm from, here's what I do, now we start the game. And Max added two zeros to those numbers <laughs> and has still on his first starter story. <laughs> exactly, yeah, so that was always like 30 minutes of our of our gameplay every time was creating your character. And anyway, so we were gonna jumpstart that. Yes, exactly, uh, 100 pages into my starter story, <laughs> I was like, hmm, this might not be a starter story. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's how I started writing. Uh, Zodak is the name of book one of the trilogy um, that I'm hoping to launch next spring. But that was that was what really started the writing process um, for me. It, and I started writing when my oldest daughter was not a year yet when I was in law school, with, and she's 18 now. So uh, that one has been you in, do the math in, in, in the works for a while. Uh, we've. I've since written a novella that I just put out. I think I sent you guys a, um, a copy of it. So there are now books in the world, and that really ratchets up the consequences right. and the need for continuity. So as a as a quick example, in what Eli was talking about in in Zodak, he shows up to the city, and I said, "Hey, can you write? Can you inject some Yidwian? Yidwian is the name of our world. Can you inject some Yidwian into this scene?" And he wrote an awesome scene with all these different animals and creatures and people showing up to the city 
that was that was just great. There was a tea seller, uh, and it just happened. It wasn't my fault. She, <laughs> this old lady, and she's on a unicycle, and she came up to serve tea. And this is a, a second world, pretty low magic, kind of Tol Tolkien-esque um, world with some you know creativity and nature and stuff. But so she starts serving tea out of a pouch in her back. Like that's like part of her. Back. It's sort of opened up nice. and it's steamy and it, she's, you know. And I was like, that is so gross. I'm not leaving that in. And I leaned back. I was like, that is totally like totally gross i have no idea why i wrote that and that's fine she's she'll come out later and i read it to my wife like isn't this gross she's like, that is awesome ah, that's amazing vindication so now in the book she's carrying uh you know two cauldrons or whatever but still on the unicycle still purple skin her like, grandmother has the pouch in the back yes anyway so there are things like that and that's an example of a the creativity and allowing <laughs> each other so that, i mean that is in my published well soon to be published book that Eli has kind of injected some world building sure. and the course correction you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's a good example. I think it's fair to say that vulnerability lies at the center of their creative powerhouse. Early in their childhoods, they established a process they would operate by, walking down a hallway. They were essentially practicing their improvisation skills and establishing room for them to cooperate with their storytelling. What's more, there's the establishment of the foundations of a creative social contract that allowed each of them to create freely, to hear frank criticisms from the other, but understand that it was meant as a way to encourage and build up rather than to tear them down. As they grew older, these skills matured into a creative partnership where each has the power to say no to the other. They have a clear knowledge of what the other offers, and it allows them to work together, creating something that is coherent. But there's like two components there. One is that um, Max recognizes the need and has the vulnerability to say, hey, like, I think I could use some Eli magic over here. You know, I need this shored up. I see this this weakness in what I'm creating. Weakness may be the wrong word, but just like a gap, a place, a, a missing, a void that I can fill here. We, we each could probably fill those voids in our own ways, but he's definitely making a choice to say, mm -hmm. like, how can how can we bring this in? So we've we've realized, you know, this is as as fun as it is because we we get to do it together mm -hmm. and with kids and work and now living. In different countries across the world, it's very easy for things to fall through the crack. So we give each other, yeah, you know, plenty of rain to, yeah, do what you need to do. But, you know, I would say that I'm really happy to 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 have a place to keep being, and it keeps me going. You know, uh, just just gather dust on the shelf because Max is like, we're gonna have a deadline. We're we're gonna you know, what? do things. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah, the desire to tinker and optimize forever is a strong one among many world builders. You know, it's mm -hmm. there's a there's a desire to sort of get it get it perfect. I think um there's a there's a lot of folks who set out to essentially create Tolkien's world. Um and I think that I think that's an that's a an expedition in error, to be honest. Like I think um yeah, Tolkien agreed. also uh was not the world builder that I think people imagine he was. I think he was extremely focused on a couple of things that he really developed because he loved them. And so you find he things loved you them. love and then you make more of that. And then people think the world is really big just because you made something really beautiful about something you liked a lot. Do you know uh, Diana Glyer who wrote uh, at an academic level about 
Tolkien and Lewis and the Inklings. No. She she did this like her a PhD on not just the Inklings and sort of oh who they were and but she she said okay we've we've heard about these but what happened day to day and so she went into family letters and like got all the primary re- data and wrote this tome and the editors said like that's fascinating amazing no one in the right mind will read that so she she distilled it to a book called uh, Bandersnatch. Mm-hmm. And it's a sort of popular packaging of her academic scholarly research on the Inklings. And down to this date, this this journal entry was written and this letter was written and then this change was made in the story. Mm. So we can see that this conversation, a really fine grain. Mm. Mm. And um, so a lot has been said about that group and about Tolkien. But the, one of the big takeaway for me, takeaways for me was that Tolkien loved hobbits. He loved their etymology their genealogies the etymology of their language their how they cooked breakfast and that's really all he wanted to write about and his group said you you have to keep going with this he came up with this ring idea they're like you have to write a story about this like, okay trilogy <laughs> so like it came out with a lot of pushing and and but but the kernel of it was he just wanted to hole up no pun intended <laughs> and get to know these little people you know and have so much fun with it I really relate to that because I write arcane, non-narrative aspects to the yeah. world. Not because they we need them, but because when I sit down with a typewriter, this I, we one of my one of my contribution well, see if it's a contribution. One of my outputs is encyclopedia entries from you know a certain a certain group of scholars and monks, and and I I just you know it's a voice of all of my academic things just channeled into this like super nerdy kind of really pretentious sounding. Uh, these entries and about a carnivorous moss or something. Yeah. Oh, and and so good. That's a great combination. They're just of fun, but for me, it's it's some of the most potent output because it's some of the most fun. Mm-hmm. And when I sit down to to drive some narrative forward with other stories, it's also can be fun, but I, it's it's a different muscle for me. So mm-hmm. I I think um, I'm just affirming like the 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 joy at the heart of it. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to, yeah, lose that. And you can you can appreciate, um, Seth. I know for sure you you are a writer, but you can appreciate having that content to draw on mm-hmm. too as a writer. So um, you mentioned Tolkien, and this has been sort of a, a question. I think it again didn't wasn't a question when we created the game and sort of as kids did it, but in creating these books, how much do you do original and how much do you borrow from folklore and fairy tale and Tolkien. I mean, we live in a, in a moment where people are very conversant in fantasy in a way they just weren't mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so the, the choices we have made in, in, and I have made in writing is let's borrow a lot of that so you're not creating 20 different races that people have never heard of and have to understand. You're creating five or six and then you're using you know, concepts that are familiar in, in trolls and in mm-hmm. elves and brownies. And so you have like different different elements in there, but then also injected with some very original content like what Eli is talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been an interesting balance when, you know, a lot of people do this with a magic system and they have very intricate original ideas in a magic system. As I mentioned, ours is sort of low magic, ancient enchanted relics and the nature has a lot of mystery in it mm-hmm. and there are powers at work but it's 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 not a magic system mm-hmm. um and so 
yeah, how how you kind of walk that line and and Eli's creativity, I think, has brought us kind of up a level where I'm happy just to sort of write a narrative in a in a Tolkien world. It's like, okay, well, let's let's inject some more kind of original ideas. Um, and, and then yes, using common language, listening to one of your earlier podcasts, um, Asimov's uh, comment about like he's still going to put on his boots and go out into this uh, science fiction world versus right. the science fantasy. Like, how do you use common language, but also have something distinct and um, and, and different? And, and and as it relates to world building, Seth, we had talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. The other piece that we've been exploring recently is world building and history. So mm-hmm. like when we created the game, we created the map, <laughs> you know, like this is what the world looks like. But now I'm writing a novella 200 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Maybe the world didn't look quite like that 200 years ago. And how has it changed and why has it changed? So those are questions we haven't, again, maybe gone the Robert Jordan, a million pages of notes um, where every detail is worked out uh, in the background. But you want to work out enough for continuity again. And, and yeah. so how do you build a big world, a deep world, a rich world, um, but also leave time for things like writing. The takeaway here is that Max, who is writing the work, is able to offload some of his creative thinking to Eli as the world builder. Both of them have different muscles they're using and both are willing to yield to the other depending on what's needed for the story. There's a mutual appreciation for each other's craft that supercharges their process and allows each of them to go somewhere they couldn't without the other's help. At this point, Seth started to ask a little more about their use of history in their world building and Eli breaks down his approach. I found that I really abhor the the uh, omniscient narrator voice mm. in my mm. writing. Um, and Max mentioned this started when I was living in Czech Republic. Um, it was just this explosion of of input. Well, it was this massive, it was this dump of, of cultural and language mm-hmm. input that just started sparking and produced a bit of a kind of an explosion of output for me mm-hmm. and for us. And since then, I've lived in um, several other countries. And as I've said, I now live still in another country. And so, and, and also professionally, I work in, in the area of culture and ethnography. So what I found is, you know, what I really love to bring to the writing is this idea that there's not actually just one authorial point of yeah, view, yeah. but actually, if you want to know what's happening, you've got to get down to the ground level and ask those people there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I probably can't do that everywhere in every society, on every place, in every part of the timeline, but I would much rather have a character tell his version of the story and have maps that disagree because different people wrote them, drew them at different times with different agendas, yeah. than try to iron out this kind of grid top down that to me feels goes in the direction of oh this is a lot of work and it's a little soul killing Mm -hmm. even though it could add consistency and things i'd rather have it be a little more like multiple choice multiple choice even grungy of like well we don't have all the information between here and there because actually in real life we don't have all the information between here and there in real life wow that's kind of nice there are entire fields of study devoted to figuring out what's going on here like you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Lo and like, behold, we still don't understand it. <laughs> and like, and so I found that I wanted to fill that out by letters, and mm-hmm. and you know th- that's why I think the the encyclopedia entry appeals to me because it's not I'm telling 
someone else here, what happened over there, it's I'm finding out, you know, you, we talked a lot about this with other writers, like you, the discovery process mm-hmm. as you write, you know, things unfold. <laughs> I think it's really fun. Um, and I want there to be that color and that um, the complexity that arises when two neighboring peoples have different versions of what happened. It's very rich. So a question for you on a slightly more technical end. Um, As you start publishing stories in this space, are you going to leave most of the ice underwater? Are you going to be packaging all of that stuff, all of that ice, in a way that can be sort of lifted to the surface and given to people? What are your thoughts yeah, about great question. about that? Jen, I think our ultimate vision that we have discussed is to create this world and this place that we can then populate with all kinds of stuff. And so in my ideal world, you fast forward a decade and the trilogy I'm writing is out there that, you know, you have some novellas out there. Eli has some stories that have been published there. You have maps. Ten volumes of encyclopedia bound and coming to you by USPS. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but no, you, you know, I, I, I love, and obviously he's sort of the master at this, but Sanderson, you know, the, the wiki on his site where mm-hmm. all these fans have built out the iceberg, right? I mean, they've built out all the little details of what's happening underneath the surface and and wouldn't it be great if you have this big group of people totally invested in this world who have read stories throughout its history and are just waiting for that board game you're finally ready to release you know like that that i think is the ultimate goal is to have have the world pretty rich Mm -hmm. and so i think yes you you to create that you do kind of release snippets and and it, it gives you creative license i think you know for the elf Quillaby to write a letter and uh, yes. hey, it shows up on the Mind's Eye site and the fans who are invested in the world are like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that piece of um, mm-hmm. of the world. And so it, it gives sort of an evergreen creativity mm-hmm. to the world. Um, so I think that would be the, the ideal. Now, who the heck knows how this journey actually unfolds? We're at the front end of it but that's i mean i would say we've discovered that in getting close to publishing definitely i've heard more from you that this what really matters like max has never said i'm going i want to be a right like be a writer and it's definitely not for the money it's not for the fame you know the the motivation of getting it out there is really a sharing motivation Mm -hmm. and i've been kind of it's been interesting for me to see you say like it i the the breath holding is, are people going to want to be part of the world mm-hmm. or, and if they're not, it's okay. Like we'll do our thing. You know, we don't, it's not like there's identity tied up in it. And mm-hmm. if not, but that's the big question is like, will people like this as much as we will not? Is it good? Do I count? You know, we're beyond those existential questions. Cause mm-hmm. look at us like, we're, you know, age and we've been doing this and that's not what's in it. But, but I think for Max, especially it's like, if people like this, that will be so motivating and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've asked him in 10 years, like how many more books do you want to write? And it's not, here's my plan. It's well, if people really love it, I'll motivate me and he'll be getting up early and he'll be cranking out a lot more. And if it's sort of Peter's and people are like, this is weird. And we always knew you're weird, but now we really know you're <laughs> weird. And um, that'll be fine, but it, you know, we it won't generate the energy to, to do as, the same things. 
What I love about their answer to this question of how much of the iceberg are you leaving unveiled is that they kind of say, well, it depends how much people are interested in what they want to write, how much of the iceberg they want to make. In some ways, it's acknowledging something that Seth and I have long suspected, that the true world builders are the readers. Max has already practiced giving away some of his authority as an author to his brother, Eli. Why not do a little bit more and hand it to your fans? This is the ultimate incarnation of participation in your world building, inviting folks outside your creative team to contribute to your world's wiki and just enjoy what they're adding to your own. Seth and I turned the discussion to our basic breakdown of world building. For those of you who are new, immersion, wonder, and participation we view as the three core pillars of world building. Now, one of these is a bit of a black sheep, participation. It's this idea that we've kind of always had, but it's eluded a clear definition. Though I see art as a partnering process in which your audience in many ways co-creates with you, we've always had a hard time clearly explaining the connection, despite sensing its presence. Eli and Max, I think, have zeroed in on some of the missing pieces of the puzzle and helped with this discussion to clarify how others cooperate in the world-building process. There is a, a well-rehearsed myth of the of the lone creative in in the Western ethos and and mindset and sort of mythology about itself, and the research shows even who, with people who believe that there is no such thing. There's no such thing as solo creation at all. Mm -hmm. And even when the act of writing or painting happens alone, I'll just put this out there. There's a a, a scholar named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, which is spelled just like it sounds. And uh, he, he has a book, uh, a couple of books. He came up with flow theory, which is really influential. Everyone who talks about flow, getting the flow, it go goes back to him. He's American-Hungarian, and he has a book called Creativity. And one of the things he talks about in Creativity is how they have multiple players. You have a person or community, but you have people who receive what is made. And if people won't don't receive it, then it doesn't register and it can't go forward in the culture mm. um, and then on the ethnographic front you have not just do they receive it as as gatekeepers but you have all these different players that actually enable a thing to happen you know um, and you can unpack that but I think if we can let go of the solo um, creator idea and just take a deep breath and relax and realize that it's like creativity is not a zero-sum mm. game mm. Because sometimes you do end up like, oh, we're going to have a writer's group, but it's really just a tit for tat. Like, okay, I'm just, yes, I'm, and I'm just enduring what you're reading so that you, so that you will endure mine. And that's not a very good relationship, mm -hmm. you know? So I think we have to connect at a deeper level where it's not just utilitarian, yeah. you know, yeah. any utilitarianism crushes, it's very dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And so anything that becomes just all about a utility crushes souls and people along the way in some measure. Um, and, and, and so it, it, that applies all over the board from being a boss in a business to being a parent to a teacher to a creator. So mm -hmm. I think coming together around an area of passion and fun, like keeping fun as a, sort of like serious play, yeah. right? Yeah. That idea, I think, is absolutely essential yeah and that will enable people to be in relationships around creativity that they're not controlling and it's not just about the bottom line or you know finishing the project it's it's that's almost becomes ancillary to the relationship mm -hmm. or incidental to the relationship 
this is a missing piece to something Seth and I have, have really been trying to like articulate because a, a lot of it has been like, the first thing we did when we got on this podcast was we joined a bunch of world building groups and mm. um, I have now left all of those world growing groups, not in a huff. I just sort of <laughs> didn't like, I, I sort of couldn't, couldn't really see what they were bringing to the table because a lot of it was mostly one-upmanship, right? Tit for tat. It was, it was sort of people putting an idea out there but I, I don't think they really wanted to have that sort of serious play element to it where it was like there's back and forth. It was hard to grow. And I kept trying to put my finger on why why is there this disconnect in world building where people, they build these like ships in a bottle and then they all show them to each other. And everyone kind of goes, yeah, but here's my ship in a bottle. Mm -hmm. And like people aren't making stuff to share it. And this idea of just that that collaboration, not just being desirable, but really essential to like really light something on fire. You need a lot of people sure. around. And y'all had the let advantage me, let me of just take. there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go a little deep Please. on this. I'll let you guys do this in editing what you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's undeniable for Max and me that so, so I think one reason people don't do that is they've never experienced it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't have a model, and it's not just being modeled or saying the facts, but being having felt it and lived it. You know, we both have a, a shared faith background mm. that really informs our world. Not because we're trying to make anything allegorical; we actually resist that totally. <laughs> but because we are, for for us, our faith experience, our understanding of God is relational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the fu the fundamental relationship that we have with God is one of when I say grace, you might go into a religious sort of, but but when I say grace, I actually mean free a free relationship yeah. where God is not requiring things of me in order to make ends meet or to get to yeah. a certain point. The whole reason that I exist was because he did some serious play and made a universe that he right. didn't need. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is actually written into every leaf and every cup of tea, like yeah. the whole universe is a generous gift. Well, I may not even be able to consciously articulate that, but if I'm living in that even a little bit, yeah. mm -hmm. then I will be able to go there, you know, and, and bring that to what I do. And I think a lot of people don't have that well, as their understanding of the universe. Mm -hmm. in, in, in a lot of ways, children start with that. Right, like yes. and that's the thing that's amazing. I think that's a great point. Vulnerability in children's play is remarkable to watch. Like my son doing different voices is one of my favorite things for him to do. So I'm the mechanic, I'm coming in here and he'll just start doing that. And he has not even a little bit of self-consciousness about it. Like he just dives in and somewhere along the way we get jaded. I think, I think there's a lot to that. And it kind of, for me, this expands a lot on the participation idea because it's been something I've had a really, really hard time articulating. And I think I've got the content for the course now, Seth, on this. Because every time me and yeah. Seth have been putting the course together, immersion, I've been able to just sort of say, this is what this looks like. This is what it feels like. And this is kind of how you do it. And then with wonder, similar thing, you know, leave parts of your stories untold, leave threads for people to tug on. And then participation has been like, I don't know, cosplay, fanfic. And now I'm kind of like, no, no, no. This is feedback. This is vulnerability. This is humility. This is a need to to open up what you're doing to other people in a way that you can receive feedback from them that like feedback almost feels like the the wrong word. There has to be something yeah. more for it. It's kind of like Yeah, that's like, yeah. It's messier. 
than that. It's kind of like letting somebody sort of come in and and mess with your crap. Like you kind of have to like be able to they have to be able to put a hand on it in a way to help you. And uh, you have to be humble enough um, and you have to have that safety within that relationship in order to engage in, and and I like this term, serious play. You also have to have unified vision to some extent. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that you necessarily are both imagining the same end goal, Mm. but you have to have the same desire because you can you can come up with a million ideas inside the space. We talk about boundaries a lot and we talk about understanding in world building how boundaries give you the freedom to explore. Whereas where totally. when you completely remove the boundaries, when you completely remove the limit, then creativity becomes incredibly hard. And uh and those boundaries which are really acting as you know guide rails seem to be really important in this mm. relational world building because if both of you are going in opposite directions and i think this is what happens to people a lot they'll start world building with somebody else and yeah. they'll be like oh well i want this and the other person will be like well i want this right and because they're so disparate because there's no uniformity in their ultimate goal they just end up in different places and and it's impossible to reconcile those desires whereas it sounds like in good relational world building you are starting with the same desires you're starting with the same um ultimate goal which is not my vision coming to life but is rather our vision coming to life and us having a lot of fun along the way Mm. and because of that you get that back and forth of well what about this hey that's a really cool idea what if we nuanced it this way Seth do you feel like people who you've talked to or James who do world building do you feel like people know why they get into it I mean I wonder if people have this idea get into it but they don't actually understand their vision not like the vision of the world, but like their bigger vision. I think that they don't. Yeah. I think a lot of people I've talked to, when I start talking about the way this makes you feel and why you're doing it in the first place, a lot of them sort of look at me blankly and are like, oh yeah, I guess I am doing this because it makes me feel a certain way because I want other people to feel a certain way. But I do think that that's missing from a lot of, a lot of conversation and and I also think that you know when you start there and whether you two consciously started there or not I think you started there totally um, when you start there it gives you it gives you something to build towards and build from simultaneously that is really powerful that's why we talk about fairy cake all the time that's why we talk about a singular idea from which everything spawns, and right? It, it, I think that has has come up for us as well. Again, just over the course of time with these different chapters of the creativity and world building, we have on a few in occasions stopped and said, like, why? What, what are we doing mm-hmm. this for? And, and Eli has asked me that with the writing too. Like, okay, so you have this book 
is this going to be a book we go print you know 30 copies of and then our families have it on the shelf and that's cool so our grandkids say oh that's a book my you know grandfather wrote <laughs> or are we going to really put it out there and if we're going to put it out there why mm -hmm. how what changes like some of those questions and there is a tension especially i mean again you you guys probably know this too but when you're talking about traditional publishing it's kind of a scary <laughs> a scary <laughs> idea to introduce that and and, and that's a, a path that i had explored um over the last couple of years and am now happily headed down the the indie publishing path but um <laughs> but it, when you talk about some of this stuff you know, that idea that Tor shows up and says, we want that, but we don't want that, that we want that to be look like mm -hmm. this. There's a lot of tension in this topic when, as a writer that just didn't exist when we were making our own world or making a, a game proposal. Mm -hmm. But a, am I a good writer? Is this good? Like all those questions, like you're, you're now entering a craft. It's different than just a pure creative exercise. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of those questions do come in That's and true. you're putting it out as a way to invite people in. But right now it's a very specific channel and it's a well-worn path that has all this other stuff that comes with it. And so I think that the tension is really ratcheted up there mm -hmm. as an author where, you know, again, I'm thankfully, I'm very thankful that this is not how I'm looking to support my family mm -hmm. because that's just a, a totally different exercise and and the way we're going about it, I think, preserves some of the authenticity uh -huh. yeah. of of the world in a way that, yeah, I think a lot of world builders get challenged quickly on mm -hmm. and start losing ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Two are better than one, you know. And so there's some there's some balance and ballast there because um, Max, you're definitely taking more of that and feeling it a lot more than I am. It's easy for me to sit back with nothing on the line, like yeah, we don't need to submit our stuff to the public opinion, but. <laughs> You know the fact is that is a bit what we're doing, so mm -hmm. it's helpful to to have a have a team. Yeah, I think I, I think that's um, partly for for time. Um, that's probably a really good place to close. Um, so that the last question really is like, where can we find your stuff? How can folks find you and get in touch with you? If you come to my basement, I have some <laughs> things I wrote on my typewriter. Excellent, that's but awesome. Max. <laughs> So we, we just, um, like actually two days ago, uh, opened <clears throat> or formed mindseye.site. So our, our whole project is under the umbrella of the name Mind's Eye. Walking down a hall, graduated and became Mind's Eye. Nice. Like, yep. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. So mindseye.site right now is just a redirect to my author site, which is maxmoyerwrites.com. Um, we hope, again, for that Mind's Eye site page to grow into the, the where the world lives on the internet yeah um, so that's the best starting place right now and everything else can be found through there so that about does it this one was longer than usual partly because i wanted to invite you all into this conversation and it seemed wrong to cut parts of it it highlights some key missing components in many of the creative spaces that I've been in and underscores the value of community in the work of making. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as Seth, Eli, Max, and I enjoyed recording it. Some key takeaways for you. 1. Community might be the most important tool that you're missing out on. 
Many creative communities are composed of a lot of people trying to do exactly the same thing. You have writers talking to writers. There's value there for sure, but how many readers and fans are you interacting with, or potential readers and fans? How many people are truly invested in your work that you can share with them and receive active feedback from them? Or is the group really more about tit for tat? One person shares their idea, mostly then waits for another turn to share their idea again. Two, when you're in those creative partnerships, it seems even more important to have a clarity of vision when you're creating that informs the world you're making. You and the ones you're making with need to understand where your limits lie. This allows you to know which world-building elements you might welcome from your audience or creative partners and which ones you might reject. In some ways, operating in creative cultures requires greater knowledge and clarity on what you're trying to make, even as you cultivate the humility to take on ideas and critiques of your work. I think there's a third point here as well. This concept of serious play. You don't have to make something that is useful. Your work can simply be play. The thing that's remarkable about children is that their primary job in early life is just playing. They act out different scenarios with dolls, test their strength at the playground, and practice movement, social, and emotional skills while they do this. It's what shapes and forms them as they become adults. This serious play and practice. We lose that sense of play being important as we grow older. Creative communities are a place where you can and should get seriously silly. So I want to give you the confidence to do that without having to immediately assess each product's value. Yes, it's valuable to make useful things, but play and practice to master the craft are part of that value and part of your value as a creator. Okay, so there it is. Some ideas on how to effectively operate in a writing community, how those tools are essential and much needed for your world building. If you want to join a community that endeavors to support this model, then please join us on our Discord. A link is available in the show notes. And as ever, if the episode has been useful to you, please go ahead and give us a glowing review on your favorite podcatching. And with that, for Eli, Max, and Seth, I'm James, and this has been another episode of the Worldcraft Club Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.